Well, good morning, church. So glad you're here with us. Um, and we are going to continue our, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to today focus on Jesus' lesson about being meek. There's no self-promotion in the kingdom of God. God expects us to be meek and to be humble. And we're going to talk about what that means. So let's bow our heads as we ask the Lord to illumine us. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words that you have given us. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for Christ. And now, Lord, we ask you that you illumine our minds and our hearts as we continue to delve into the Sermon on the Mount. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so Jesus is now going to talk to us about a concept that is very foreign to the human condition. Uh, and that is the aspect of being meek. And if you look at Matthew chapter, chapter 4, uh, uh, verse 5, or rather ver the other, Matthew 5, verse 4, I miswrote that. Uh, Jesus says there, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall shall inherit the earth. And so according to Jesus, it is the meek, the humble, the bowing before God, not the haughty, arrogant, prideful, or aggressive who God blesses. And so this is a, a very different dynamic than the world would ever understand. And so when the disciples heard this, most likely they, they would have been shocked because even then in that first century church, uh, to most men and women, meekness as a great character virtue seemed impossible to understand. The world associates happiness with the acquisition of success, with the acquisition of worldly possessions, uh, and it believes that the way to acquire them is through aggression, aggressiveness, uh, certainly not meekness as we would understand meekness. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day also had a very militaristic approach uh, as to what they believed would be success. They didn't think that their Messiah would be a meek uh, person, that he would go to the cross the way a sheep goes to be sacrificed. That was anathema to them. They wouldn't have done that. Uh, they were looking for a political leader, a military leader, someone who would expose great strength, who would oppose the boot of Rome. And so Jesus teaches in opposition to all of these human characteristics, all of it, and, and determines to show us that if you want to share in the kingdom of God, then you need to be meek. And so I'm hopeful today that in this message, I will underscore for you what he meant by that. Uh, and so the truth is borne out by the biblical writers uh, of and Jesus' time. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote that meekness is to characterize our response to God's truth. He says there in James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you that can, be, that can save you. And so there you begin to understand that meekness refers also to humility, uh, to bowing before uh, the, the cross of God. Moreover, Paul lists Meekness as one of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 4, 
verse 22, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Meekness, again, as one of the essential fruit of the Spirit. And so these verses cumulatively teach, really, that meekness is a characteristic by which God promises to bring blessings to the church, bring blessings into your life, uh, and as he blesses your life to bless the lives of others. It is certainly not a natural characteristic of man. And never is a natural characteristic of man. But it is a result of the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit within us. It is when you accept Christ at that moment when God reaches across eternity uh, to save you. And, and he gives you the grace that allows you to accept God and to be submissive to God. At that moment, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, it will be an on going walk with God as that spirit uh, changes you and convicts you and walks with you. And so th this is the result of all that. Yes, you're not born meek in the eyes of God. And yes, you're not born humble. You're born with a natural human condition, which is arrogance and pride, uh, self-righteousness, the ability to self-market ourselves. But none of this is what God wants as it relates to God. God wants to see you being submissive and humble and acknowledging that everything you are, everything that you have is from God. And so when Jesus referred to meekness, it is not what most people think. If you were to ask people in the world, what do you think Jesus meant? Uh, it does not mean laziness or weakness or cowardice. None of those things. In reality, meekness as Jesus has defined it is compatible with courage and great strength. It is someone being restrained even as they have the authority and power not to be restrained. Uh, and you see this. And Mark Barclays in his famous commentary on Matthew says the following, which I think is very appropriate. He says, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Jesus is the perfect example of such controlled and righteous anger. And so we're going to separate this out for you so that you understand it. There are two instances in Jesus' life which bear this out, and they were both involved temple cleansings. Uh, and, and the reality of that is Jesus cleansed the temple when he first started his ministry, and he did it again at the end when he was approaching the end of his ministry. And if you turn to John chapter two, you can read with me as I read this because I think it bears on this subject. John chapter two, verse 13. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house 
into a market. There's your Jesus. Doesn't sound like meekness the way the world would define meekness, does it? It sounds like a man who, who understands what the nature of God is and what the nature of the temple was uh, and that he was disgusted with what man had done to God's temple. And so you see here in this first instance, Jesus refers to the temples as my father's house, my father's house. Now in the second instance, uh, and this is found in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, uh, Jesus there says in that instance, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Notice that in his second cleansing, he now refers to it as my house, my house, a house of prayer. And so again, Jesus overturns the money changers and, and exposes the fact that this is not what God intended for the temple. And so the attitude of Jesus, as you focus on this, and this is important, the attitude of Jesus was not selfish anger. He wasn't being angered at some blasphemy about himself. He was angry at the fact that God's temple had been blasphemed and defamed. Uh, and so what this means is uh, it is appropriate to be angry when you see injustice to others. When you see the things of God debased, it's appropriate to be angry, but there can never be any justification for you to be angry at something that has happened to you personally. This becomes a very, very important lesson, a very important lesson. And so a biblical expression, really, of being meek is often used of a submissive and trusting attitude before God making the meekness a vertical virtue rather really than a horizontal one. And what do I mean by that? Meekness as Jesus is defining it is your relationship between you and God, you and the Father, bowing before his will, humbly accepting his words and his will for your life. It is not really a horizontal relationship with you and others. God will lift you up. God will exalt you. So it's not about you having to debase yourself really in front of other people. That's the horizontal aspect. But it's about you humbling before God and saying, God, I want to go and be and do your will. I want to serve you in every way. I want to speak when you want me to speak. And Lord, even more importantly, I need to shut up when you want me to shut up. Uh, and we need to have the discernment to understand this. It's an important, important lesson. And so... It is the characteristic that makes man bow before God, even as he stands high before other men. Uh, and it's important. There's a, a terrific psalm that speaks to this that Jesus was aware of and I'm sure entered into his thought process when he prepared the Sermon on the Mount. If you would turn to Psalm 37, uh, beginning with verse 6, it says as follows, He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit 
the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. What a powerful psalm. What an explanation of what God wants from us. How refraining from anger, refraining from revenge, refraining from having to defend yourself and waiting on God to do all those things because God, God promises he will make things right. He will defend you. He will lift you up. And so you see this here is that as you commit yourself into the way of the Lord, it is God promising you that as you submit that he will lift you up and you will inherit the earth. You will have happiness here in this world, even as you will be with him in the next. Now, there are some pictures that we can look at biblically that demonstrate this. The biblical picture of a meek man is evident in the book of Moses. And it's about Moses. And uh, in in, in, this is in the book of Numbers, rather. And in that book, according to that passage in God's sight, Moses was the meekest man in the world. According to the verse, it says in Numbers 12, verse 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. How about that? How about the fact that a man who God looked at as the most humble man on the face of the earth would be the man God would pick to go back and challenge Pharaoh and say, let my people go, thus saith the Lord. This meek man would be able to speak to God face to face. Can you imagine it? And it just shows you what God can do. What God can do when we bow before him and humbly put ourselves right with him. Uh, and so, really, this becomes an important lesson for us, understanding that this is how God wants you to live. This is how God wants to bless you. He wants to lift you up. But don't do it yourself. This isn't one of those things where we raise ourselves from our own bootstraps, but instead we bow before the throne of God and we say, God, do with me as you would. Let me speak as you would want me to speak. There's another example about Moses uh, in, in Numbers, and that's found in Numbers 12, uh, verses 4 to 10. And in that passage, uh, we see here that his sister, Miriam, challenges Moses uh, and challenges him uh, because she was angry at the woman he chose to marry, his second marriage after his first wife passed. Uh, and uh, she is challenging Moses, and see what happens here. Uh, and, and you see here in verse 4, this is Numbers chapter 12, verse 4. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Aaron his brother, Miriam his sister, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Can you imagine what that had to be like? God says, I want you to come out to the tent of the meeting and I'll meet you there and the cloud comes down. Pretty serious stuff, right? When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. This is God speaking directly. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I speak face to face clearly, and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. 
Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming up from its mother's wombs with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. Oh God, please heal her. That is a humble man. Not seeking revenge, not having anger, but saying, Lord, I know what she said about me, Lord, but for, forgive her, Lord. Heal her, Lord. And that's the lesson. That's the nature of true humility and meekness. And God honored that. And he healed her. But she had to understand that she could not touch the servant of God. And so this really is the definition of meekness before God. This is what Jesus is talking about. Moses bowed low before God, and he was vindicated. Now, this became the very foreshadowing of the conduct of Jesus Christ. There is no greater example in Scripture of meekness than Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and so you see this here. Uh, and, and even as we study the, the meekness of Jesus Christ, we have examples of other biblical leaders who also exemplify meekness. For example, take a look at the life of David and his relationship with Saul. David is anointed as the king of Israel when he was 16 years old. And yet another 15 years would go by before he was able to assume the throne. And during those 16 years, he would be assailed by Saul. He would be chased by Saul. He would have to be on the run during those period of time. He never once raised his hand against Saul because he believed that until God intervened and took Saul away, Saul continued to have an exalted place in the eyes of God. In other words, he didn't seek to defend himself. What a picture this is to me, this mighty man of valor, this man who would slay Goliath, who would kill bears uh, with his own bare hands and lions, yet he would not seek to defend himself uh, because he recognized that Saul had been anointed by God. What a powerful example to me uh, of the nature of what God wants from us. Uh, and there's another powerful example, Paul in the New Testament, speaks of, of, the, of the issue of meekness in the light of life of Christians. And as we read his letters to the church of Corinth, you see that the church of Corinth said terrible things about Paul. Terrible things about Paul that weren't true. Many unkind things, yet he demonstrated continuing meekness and submission to God as he answered those charges. Uh, and so it, it becomes such an important thing for me to, to focus on as to how uh, God wants us to live. And then you see the greatest example of all, which is Jesus, who in every essence of his life bows before the throne of God uh, and accepts the will of God in his life. Uh, Jesus said, uh, the words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, 
Um, he also said, the Father that dwells in me, he does the work. Everything that Jesus did pointed to the Father. He never took the fact that the power was his. He always elevated the Father. It is the Father in all of his work. Look also, if you would, at one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, as again, Paul demonstrates the power of Christ and the nature of true humility. In verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What a great picture this is of true meekness and submission to the will of the Father. Verse 9, therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and the church said. And that's the promise that God gives you, that that's what's coming down the road. The day is coming when every knee in this world will bow before Jesus Christ. And you can rely on that. And I know the last several weeks and months have been horrible, horrible, as we've had to live through these terrible conditions. But I want to uplift you and show you the cross stands there, unbesmirched in any way, all right, that God sees what's going on and God, God will validate things that have to be validated. That's the promise that God makes for us. And so as we consider this beatitude, this teaching by Jesus about the role that we have to be meek, uh, and, and I think one of the ways that I would phrase it is this, as I look at Jesus and his life, how he was outraged at, his, at injustice, and as he was outraged at people who were treated poorly, yet he didn't seek to defend himself when the arrows and slings came against him. He left it to God. My feeling is this, I would put it this way, leave everything, everything, yourself, your rights, your justice, your entire future in the hands of God. Especially so if you feel you have been treated unjustly. We must learn to say with the Apostle Paul that our policy must be this. And this really resonated with me this week as I prayed about this. Paul said this, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And this is an important but vital lesson to learn and live by. Effectively, Paul is saying, and this is important, Paul is saying this, that if you seek to take revenge for some injustice to yourself or some sling and arrow or defamation that you have received, if you seek to get justice by yourself and enact revenge, then you are diluting the power of God. You are diluting the power of God who promises you 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, and, and I want to read, if you would, I want you to read to Romans chapter 12. Uh, because this becomes important as we understand the nature of meekness as, as Jesus is evidencing it here. R Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Do you understand that? Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sure, can you imagine of you feeding your enemies and giving him something to thirst, the world would never understand that kind of conduct. Never understand it. But at the same time, you wait. You wait for God to do what God, God promises you will do. Now, this is important for us to understand. This is an exceedingly difficult subject for me because I spent my whole life in court ripping out people's windpipes. Okay? Uh, that's what I did for a living. Uh, and I was pretty good at it. In fact, I would have done it for free. Uh, it was that much fun for me to do this. And th those of you who, who were in court understand what I mean about it. And so it was a natural tendency that I had that I was able to defend what I thought was injustice, which it was, to defend pe people or companies that had been abused. And I loved doing it. And I was, I was able to do it pretty well. Uh, but here's the thing. Now you walk out of court... You walk into this world and somebody slanders you or defames you or lies about you. Do you rip out their windpipe? Is that what God wants us to do? And I'm going to say this now to so many of you here in this church that have been defamed and slandered by church splits. Listen well to what I'm saying. You've been defamed. You've been lied about. You have been slandered. And so the natural tendency that we have is to stand up and strike back and, and show these people that what they've said about us are lies. And yet God calls us to be silent. God calls us to bow before the cross. Why? Because God sees the evil. God sees what has to be restored and God promises you he promises you that he will do this this is an important lesson to learn this is what differentiates us from the world and it is the Holy Spirit which is the great restrictor of evil within us so does it mean that my character has changed that all of a sudden that John that spent 45 years doing this for a living now suddenly wouldn't do it? No, it doesn't mean that at all because I still carry the flesh. But it means this, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and while my initial reaction might be to grab you or to do something to you, instead God fills me with his power and his spirit and I know, Lord, I can't do it. And he helps me not to do it. 
Do you understand this? He helps you not to do it. He puts a filter on your tongue. And he makes you be conscious of this. Because do you think you're going to lead people to Jesus Christ as you slander them back? Are you going to show evidence of the power of God in your life as your tongue seeks to destroy and make a scorched earth? Are you going to lift up the church here? Are people going to be drawn to this church when you as a leader in the church act that way? No, you are not. And he understands that. And so we bow. We bow before him. We bow and we submit to him. And we know that he will defend us. He will raise us up. He will exalt us. He will make it right. And let me say something, folks. When God acts, it's pretty powerful. You may think that you could do a better job. Let me clue you in. You're not doing a better job than God. All right? And the thing is this. You don't know when God acts. Sometimes he takes a long time to act. Sometimes it may take months. Sometimes it may take years. But God promises you, God promises you that he will repay that, that kind of evil. And so this is important. There was another example that Paul spoke about. And you see the example of, of meekness in Paul's life. Uh, and this was where the, the uh, church, the Philippian church, uh, gave him a present. And he responded to this uh, in 2 Corinthians. He said, thank you. Thank you for sending your present. I like it, not because I wanted anything, but I like the spirit that made you send it. Yet as for myself, I have all things and abound. Paul was such a humble and meek man. He owned very little. He didn't have any possessions. He gave it all up, but he described himself as possessing all things. Why? Because God protected him. Because God gave him the ultimate happiness of knowing that he was within the will of God. And that's why Jesus says here, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's exactly right. They will inherit it because all of the happiness that could possibly, you know, possibly come into your life comes into your life when you bow before God and humbly accept him and say, Lord, I will walk with you. He will give you everything you need. And even Paul who would say there, I possess all things, even though he was not a, a wealthy man at all, but was a poor man. And so everyone, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, Jesus said this, for anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the nature of the Christian walk. You don't need to promote yourself as being a man or woman of God. You don't need to tell the world how righteous you are. Uh, or how powerful you are in serving God, or how, that you need to promote yourself about the things that you're doing for the kingdom of God. You don't have to say a word because Jesus has promised you that if you humble yourself, he will exalt you. What would you prefer, to be exalted by man or be exalted by God? We all know we would prefer to be exalted by God. I'm not interested in being exalted by man. I don't need man to tell me you're a great guy, you're doing a great job, all right? You're doing good things. I don't need that, and neither do you, but I want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. That's why we walk with Jesus. That's why we come to church together to listen to the word of God so that we can be lifted up 
in the sight of God. And understand this. And this is impossible to the natural man. It is absolutely impossible. The natural man can't comprehend this. This is not how he lives. This is not how he walks. It's all about the prideful nature. The self-righteous nature. I'm smart. I'm good. I can take care of myself. That's what the natural man says. And the spiritual man says, Lord, I can't do anything. I can't do anything without you. I walk with you. I will speak when you want me to speak. I will go where you want me to go. And so we can never make ourselves meek. If you think that you're going to get involved in a program that's going to make you meek, you are so far outside of the will of God, you haven't really listened to what this scripture is about. It is the Holy Spirit in your heart working, restricting, convicting, changing, sanctifying you that allows you to become this man or woman. It changes the natural characteristics that you were born with. Do you still have those characteristics? Of course you still have those characteristics. But at the moment, you see, at the very moment that that natural tendency is ready to come up and you're ready to fire a missile with that tongue, right? And you're ready to blast back at some slander that's happened about yourself. Instead, God restricts you. God convicts you. And all of a sudden, it comes back down. And you don't say it. Because you're, uh, you remember, you're walking with him. You're walking for him. You're carrying the cross of Christ. You can't do this in this world. You have to live to honor him. You want to bring people to faith. And so that's what happens. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us poor in spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to mourn because of our sinful nature. And it is the Holy Spirit that will make us meek in the eyes of God. And so as to inheriting the earth, as Jesus said here, inheriting the earth, Paul has reminded us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the saints shall judge the world. Judge the world. Well, what does that mean? It means the promise of God is that at the end of time in this world, God intends to appoint each and every one of you as a judge. You will have responsibilities in the new world. You will become a judge. God is going to use you and elevate you. You will reign with him. You will reign with him. That is why we, we really need to be conscious of what he expects from us in this world. And so this is an important test. This is an important test for all of us uh, it, as we, we sit here today listening to his world. Those of us who claim to be Christians claim of necessity that we have already received the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you who claims to be a Christian has received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have no excuse for not being meek. We have no excuse. He has fully empowered us. This is a character trait produced by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is a direct fruit of the Spirit. And so what is our responsibility today? What is the practical as we leave here after listening to this message? Well, we must face the Sermon on the Mount. We must face those words. We must meditate upon the very words of our Lord. We must reflect on it and pray about it. We must look at the examples cited in scriptures that we've talked about. 
how these men of God walked in meekness before the cross, including Jesus himself. Then we must humble ourselves and confess our sin and our shame and our utter imperfection and ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me and refill me and change me, Lord. Help me to be the man or woman that you want me to be. Help me, Lord, to be filled and Jesus will show you what it means. Jesus will teach you how to be meek. As Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my oak, my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Oh, Lord Jesus, let it be so. Let it be so as we bow our heads at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Lord, I ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to change our character. Help us, Lord, to become more like you in these great examples of the Bible where these men humbled themselves in every way and evidenced the meekness of the Spirit of God. Let us be the kind of people that the world is astonished at, that even as we are slandered and blasphemed and lied about that we will not have to seek revenge on our own, but instead we will bow before you knowing that you have promised, you have promised that you will take care of us. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.